So, good morning everyone, and good morning to those of you online as well, or if it's not morning because you're watching on Catch Up, hello. So, as we just saw in that video, uh, this series we're looking at core training. Uh, training and developing our core as a church and as individuals. Um, as you may well know, similarly as Martin said, that if, as humans, if our core is fit, well and stable, then we are more fit well and stable, less likely to take injury. But this takes exercise, starting small, building big, lifting heavier, or doing more crunches, or planking for longer, or whatever the in-ab workout is. I clearly know what that is at the moment. But the same goes for our church, that if we develop our core, those foundational elements of who we are as a church and as a body of Christ, that develops our outgoing as well as our incoming. And that develops us as individuals. So as mum said, as Angie said, whatever you want to call her, I suggest you call her Angie, I'll call her mum, does that work? Um, so far Martin has spoken on radical hospitality and questioning faith, and Neil, again as I tend to call him dad, uh, spoke on passionate worship. I promise it's not always a family occasion. Uh, but I recommend you go back and watch these if you've not done as yet. You can catch them on our YouTube channel. Um, but today we're talking about Risky Mission, or as I like to just entitle it, Go. But So for literally 30 seconds, because running on time this morning, so what springs to mind when I say the word mission? Whether that be in a church context or outside, I say mission, you think, tell the person next to you now. Or write it in the chat or the comments if you're online. <laughs> Fabulous. It's lovely to hear the hubbub. I encourage you to carry on that afterwards. So I'm currently at university um, alongside work and... I'm, so I'm going to do a cliché essay opening, because that's what you do when you're at university, you write essays, and you always start with this opening, because essays are hard to write. The Cambridge Dictionary has three definitions for the word mission. One, an important job, especially a military one, that someone is sent somewhere to do. Number two, any work that someone believes it is their duty to do. And number three, a group of people whose job to increase what is known about their country, organisation or religion in another country or area or the place where such people are based. That last one was wordy, but I think we got there. So they also have a number of other definitions. For example, how it's used in the States. And my favourite one is on a mission to do something, which we use, I mean, oh, that person's clearly on a mission when they're walking with purpose. But I'm sure I'm not alone, and I've had confirmation from down the front that I am not alone. I hear mission, I think, impossible. Do, 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 Maybe that's just me. Um, or maybe you hear mission, you think mission statement, mission control, mission critical. But the Cambridge Dictionary gave me a new one, which I'd never heard of, maybe you know it. Mission creep. 
Anyone know what mission creep is? There's a couple of nods around. So apparently, it's business management talk, meaning the gradual addition of new tasks or activities to a project so the original purpose or idea begins to get lost. I read that again because I quite like it. And you're all going to take that back to work tomorrow morning, aren't you? The gradual addition of new tasks or activities to a project so that the original purpose or idea begins to get lost. So, for example, expanding our objectives would only result in mission creep and huge amounts of extra expense sort of idea. I wonder if that is a habit the church gets into. We often start adding so much to our original call, we forget the crux of the calling. To love God and to love others. And it says in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I, Jesus, has commanded you. And surely I, again Jesus, am with you always to the very end of the age. We were called to go. And to go wasn't a new thing when Jesus said that. Just as Jesus was leaving, he was like, oh, by the way, now I'm not here, off you pop. No, people have been told to go since the dawn of time. Right back in Genesis 22, Abraham was told to take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. If you don't worry, if you don't know that story, it has a happy ending. He doesn't sacrifice his son. God intervenes. Don't panic. Again, in Genesis 37, Joseph was sent to go and see his brothers, if all was well with the flocks, and to bring word back to his father. He was sent to go. Again, that's Joseph with the Technicolor Dreamcoat, even though we don't know it was actually Technicolor, but we like that. Thank you, Joseph, for Lloyd Webber, even, for that one. I could go on and on and on throughout the Bible, but I won't. There's too much else to talk about than just to give you examples of other people going. But there are two more that I do want to pull out, one from the Old Testament and one from the New. So the one from the Old Testament is found in Numbers chapter 13. And I will read it. I won't read every single verse because those will be here all day, um, but I will give you the outline of the story. So we're starting at verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites, one from each ancestral tribe of its leaders. So that the Lord commanded Moses to send them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev, on into the hill country. See what the land is like, and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or is it bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Fertile or poor? Are there trees? No trees. Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land because it was the season of the first ripe grapes. So this is when God had given them a promised land and they were going to spy out um, whether this was where God wanted them to be and to spy out what they needed to take to take this land. So they did. They went. They went and they checked it out. And this is what happened on their return. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. 
There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. Then Moses gave this account. We went into the land which you sent us. And it d- they gave Moses the account. Moses didn't give the account. I can't speak. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here it's, is its fruits. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites lots of people that are big and scary, live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. They then go on to say, we cannot attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said the land we explored devours those living in it, and the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from Nephilim. And we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. They went, they felt tiny. How often do we feel like that? Whether physically, if you're someone like me, who is not always the tallest, or maybe just in an environment, suddenly you feel tiny. That is exactly how they felt. They went, we can't do this. This is not the land. We cannot take this place. We are few, they are many. We are small, they are big. It's not happening. There were giants living in the land. Almost all of the spies that came back, this is what they reported, that there were giants living in the land and that it wasn't possible. Focused on the issue. They did not focus on the potential and they did not focus on the promise. We can be the same. We can focus so much on the giants or the mountains or whichever metaphor you like to use for this example, but that means we miss the potential. That means we forget the promise. What are your giants? What are the things that are stopping you from moving on? What are the things that you are focusing on rather than the promise and the call that God has for you and always has had for you? Fear of messing up, fear of not knowing enough, fear of them rejecting you, fear of losing something. That's me anyway. And did you notice something about all those fears? They all had something in common. They were all about me. None of them included my faith, my promise that I have from Jesus. Maybe you are exactly the same that we focus on the problems and not on the promise. So when I was reading you that passage, I actually skipped a verse. If you're following along, well done for spotting it. In verse 30, Caleb, who's one of the spies, spoke up. And he said, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Caleb had faith. Caleb knew that the promise God made was real and it was bigger than any giant. There is a kid's song we often sing. We always sing it in my house. It is my two-year-old's favorite. Um, My God's the king of the giants. My God's the king. That one. I won't do it all. I can't sing. That's why we have Elise and Eugene rather than me. Um, But my God is the king of the giants and the chorus ends and my God's the king of me. 
And maybe for you, your giant is not speaking up. Caleb spoke up. How often have you been in a meeting, whether that be at work or maybe even a church meeting, just to throw it out there, and you've been in the minority that has kept quiet? That may seem the safe thing to do, but sometimes maybe it's also the wrong thing to do. What if Caleb and his pal Joshua had kept quiet? Out of the 12 of them, they were the only two who said, we can do this because God can do this. What if they had stayed quiet? What if they didn't have the faith that God could do it? What if they didn't have the confidence to speak up and stick to their guns? Do we need to step up and take those risks as well? Right, I said I was going to pull out two stories, one from the Old Testament, one from the New. So that was from the Old Testament, and now here from the New. And now this is where Jesus sends out uh, the 72. Uh, It says... After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed into its streets and say, even the dust, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God who comes near. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven and I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice in the spirits that submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So in the Old Testament, uh, we saw how most people were too taken aback and too taken in by the worldly fears to trust and to go. But in the New Testament, when Jesus said, go, They went and they experienced wonders. No, I'm not saying it was easy. Jesus never said it would be easy. In fact, he explains how even to respond when people go, no, thank you. The 72 were taken in and weren't knocked down by what they saw. They had faith and had trust and did what they were called to do. They were sent into their mission fields and they went. They lived out Isaiah's commission from Isaiah 6.8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom should I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. So we have been told to go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, till the very end of the age. We are called to go. Go to all nations. 
Now, a lot of people use this verse as to why we should go and do international mission and go and tell other nations about Jesus, faith, and Christianity. And yes, that is really, really important. I'm fully on board with it. And I encourage the work of the people and organizations who are doing this work. And that might be your mission field. You might be being called elsewhere in this globe to go and do that. If you feel that that is what God is calling you to do, go and talk to those who have done it and those who are still doing it. As a church, we can put you in touch with those people who have done it and who are doing it. People like the Dooleys, the Wrights, the Chitties, and so many others who this is their day-to-day life. Or maybe something more short-term. People like myself, Karen, who went with Compassion, Katie Pryor, Joshua and Vardui, and countless other people who have worked with Romania through Roaf Glia, the Centre of Hope, and many others who have done much more. But maybe you're sitting there and going, actually, Madagascar, Burkina Faso, Uzbekistan, not really for me. And good! I'm glad they're not for everyone. If everyone went on international mission, who would be telling our neighbours, our colleagues, our family and our friends? For some people, their mission field is elsewhere. But for everyone, their mission field is here. It is with those who we know, those who we love, It's the lady at the post office, the man who owns the coffee shop, and the person who frequents the bar. This may fill you with dread. Maybe for you, the idea of flying off to the other side of the world where no one knows you, that feels easier. Because there is less judgment, there is less fear of rejection. If they don't like you, you never have to see them again. You can come home. However, what about the person next to you? on your desk at work, or your regular bus bus driver, who's telling him about Jesus, about Christianity, about your testimony or your faith. But risky mission is uncomfortable. It's unconventional, it's unpredictable, and it's very, very real. It's only by stepping out and taking risks for Jesus that we will see our church grow. And maybe that's inviting someone to do the next Alpha course that we run. Maybe it's inviting your golf mates over for dinner and not hiding your Bible away. Maybe it's getting involved with a mission organization, whether locally or globally. We've got uh, mission deacons within the church. Their photos and things are up on the wall. Go and talk to them if you want to know any more, or anyone you ever see at the front. They can point you in the right direction. But overall... We are called, no matter where it is, no matter what it is, to go. To go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us. And surely, Jesus is with us, always, to the very end of the age. Is your response, here I am, send me. I'm going to have some questions just to think on and reflect on before we head back into a time of song worship. What are the giants standing in your way to mission and to service? To whom this week are you going to talk to about Jesus and your faith? Are you ready 
to say, here I am, send me.